Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games, a bit like songs, often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is the American designer of some of the finest strategy video games yet made. After graduating from the University of Oklahoma with a degree in computer science in 2000, he accepted a job to become a business consultant when he found a position at FireAxis, the development studio founded by the legendary designer Sid Meier. Having worked as a programmer on Civilization 3 and 4, in 2012 he relaunched the cult classic strategy series XCOM, a chess-like game in which players direct a squad of troops in skirmishes against alien invaders. More recently, he steered the creation of Marvel's Midnight Suns, one of the best games of 2022 that carried the lessons learned in XCOM into the Marvel Universe. Earlier this year, he announced his departure from FireAxis, the company where he has worked for more than 20 years. My brain is on fire with a new dream, he said. Time to go chase it. Welcome, Jake Solomon. 
Thank you very much for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So, yeah, we started, uh, I actually emailed you before all of this news came out about <laughs> yeah, the uh, right. <laughs> the next uh, chapter in your life. I mean, I said there that you've been at Fire Access for your whole working adult life. Yeah. You know, how, did it fe- how does it feel stepping out into the unknown now? Um, yeah, so I, almost 23 years, it's been, it, it's it's surreal. It's um terrifying it's exciting but i think that i've never known another job so when i actually left for axis i told i i told sid he and i had a long conversation um sid meyer you know who i've worked for forever and i was like i've never i've never worked anywhere else i've never quit a job before so it was very surreal to be 46 years old and quitting my first job so um yeah that's the space i'm in it's you know i i tell people exciting which it is i think it is exciting but you know the flip side of exciting it is kind of terrifying that's that's where i am right now what was it um what was it like sitting down with sid who you know you've worked with so closely for all this time and learned so much from uh did you feel pretty nervous when you sat down to tell him this i i did because it it's funny sid and i have a really close relationship I mean, he is a definitely a father figure to me. He's a mentor and we're very, very different people, I think, which is mm-hmm. why we get along so well. Like Sid is a wonderful, like he's a, he's this very kind, calm person. Like he plays piano in his church. I mean, he's a wonderful guy. I'm like a monster. I'm like, you know, I'm screaming. There's all kinds of like curse words. It's funny because I, I came up under him and he taught me everything, everything that I know um, as a designer. I modeled on him. I think our, our different personalities work together really well. Um, and I would make him laugh and, and he would teach me so much. And so that, that is probably like, it was probably the hardest for me was to tell Sid. And he was disappointed, but he also said like, a guy like Sid, he spawned off so many other designers, you know, Bruce Shelley and Brian Reynolds. And, and so he was like, this is how it goes. He was like, this is what we do. He's like, I'm kind of proud of, having people go out and do their own thing. So yeah, it was tough. We we spent hours talking about everything we'd done together and the funny stories of the people we'd work with and the games we'd made together. Um and yeah, so it was it was good, but it was sad at the same time. Yeah. Oh, isn't that lovely that you got to sit and reminisce though? What a testament to your good working relationship, I think. Yeah. I mean he <laughs> he is He is such an amazing guy and he's, you know, he's my link to what I would consider the golden era of games when there weren't genres, when there weren't anything. And so like Sid always felt to me like this amazing link to, I played his games as a kid and it's true that one of the first games I had was Silent Service that my dad had on a a PC and it was clearly a hacked version of the game because if you sunk an enemy sub, the game would crash. And I was like, Sid, like you're like, I silent service is one of the first games I played. And I was like, and by the way, I think my dad stole it. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Like I, that's, so yeah, but it has been a it's been a a, a joy to to work for him. I think twenty three years of of service and you've paid your debt now. <laughs> he, yeah, that's what he said. He said, "Look, he's like the debt is paid. He's like the debt is paid at this point." <laughs> so I mean, you know, you've you you you've had a lot of success. I would say in the last decade, you know, you've worked on some wonderful games, and then of course working with Marvel, I guess was was very exciting, and to make a game that's 
so closely cleaves to your vision for the kind of games you enjoy making, but within that universe, yeah. very exciting. So, you know, tell me why have you decided to leave just when things seem to be right at their very height of excitement <laughs> and going well for you? <laughs> go out on top, Simon. All right, go out on top. That's what, uh, Fair enough. That's what everybody's told me. Um, no, I think, so the gaming landscape is changing, right? And so game... As a result, gaming companies are changing, right? Like, I went from XCOM Enemy Unknown uh, in 2012 to all the way up to Midnight Suns, and the team size just grew and grew and grew. And I actually like working with a larger team. <laughs> but I think that as the landscape changes, you kind of have to look at, like, okay, well, how do we find a way to... And this is... I'm a designer, but, like, you still have to think business-wise. Like, how do we monetize this? This is our audience. How do we find a way to monetize this? And so those conversations involve a lot of people now, a lot more people than they used to. And so it's just a situation where I, I found myself saying, after I'd made Midnight Suns, I looked at, okay, I'm going to make another turn-based strategy game. And am I excited about that? And I found that I wasn't that excited about doing another turn-based strategy game just because, not because the genre isn't amazing. Hey. That's where I've spent my life. But I felt like I didn't have anything more to say in that area. Hey. And so I started to think about like, what would I, you know, what would I do if I wasn't doing this, um, if I wasn't making another turn-based strategy game at Fraxis? And I started to get excited about, well, there are other things that excite me um, as a designer. And so... And the idea of starting something new was really exciting to me. And, and I re kind of realized, like, as the company was changing, like, this was my opportunity to think about, like, maybe I should make a change. Maybe I, if, if I'm ever going to do my own thing, which, again, Sid, you know, he, he had started multiple companies. And I thought to myself, if I'm ever going to start my own company, which isn't, which isn't in my nature, but I was like, I feel like I could do this and do a whole new thing and be completely in charge of it. And that was just too exciting for me. So I just realized that this was kind of the time for me to, to move on. Wonderful. And, uh, you know, do, as we speak now, you haven't actually formally announced what you're doing, but we were chatting before and you're saying that you are able to talk about that now. Can you, can you just tell us what yeah. you're, you're going to do? Yeah, uh, I my intention, you know, Simon, if anybody gives me, uh, you know, the funding for it, the, the intention is to open my own studio locally i'm gonna open my own studio and make a new kind of mm. game where do you live oh in baltimore so i'm i'm just north of baltimore um there's a bunch of and it, again it all goes back to sid my gosh i'm never going to be free of this guy <laughs> um like he started microprose um which is a company from way back in the day and then there's grown up this sort of smaller game development area in baltimore where there's a lot of companies now zenimax is here and zynga was here for a while um there are a lot of game companies around here and so i, I intend to just stay in this area and you know uh, build up my own and can you say what kind of uh, what kind of games you want to make you said you know obviously you spend your whole life working with turn-based strategy what's the sort of thing you're interested in next well i you know, I, I think that I can't move too far away from what my experience is. And so I am like, I'm a creative director, but the truth is I'm actually like a very in the weeds system designer. I make games as a creative director, but I actually end up designing a lot of the systems for the game. So every game that I've made, I end up designing, like even on Midnight Suns, I had some amazing designers, but I also designed individual heroes and enemies and their abilities. Like I just am a very like in the weeds designer. And so 
system design is important to me. Um, so I want to make a, a sort of systems-based game, but I think it won't be turn-based strategy. I think I kind of want to make something that's a little more of a, of a life simulator, like a simulation-style mm. game. So that's that's the Wonderful. plan. Wonderful. That's so exciting. And it, have you got a name for your company? I don't. Not yet, because, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I've been in this cocoon for 23 years working at Fraxis, where they're like, yeah, just work on games or design games. And you're like, I don't know how any of this stuff gets done in terms of where's the money come from. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like uh, all the legal repercussions. I don't know how that stuff works. Um, so now I'm trying to figure this stuff out for myself. And so now I have legal representation and all this stuff. And um, then, you know, it's a case of like, do you have a name for a company? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to have to run the trademarks on that. They're like, I don't think that's going to fly. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what my company name is going to be. It's going to be like my seventh choice probably by the time I announce it. So it's it. not going to be uh, Marvel Midnight Sun Company then. <laughs> <laughs> I ran that. They, they were like, they, they might be some trademark issues with that. I was like, oh, okay. All right, sorry. I wanted to call it Marvel XCOM. Um, uh, Minecraft Fortnite company, <laughs> and they were they said there might be some issues. So ah, we'll shucks. <laughs> okay, Jake. Well, the uh, the format of the podcast is I'm asking you to pick your five video games you want to put on your ideal fictional games machine. Um, and your first your first game comes from 1988. Can you tell us about it and uh, where you first encountered the game? Yeah, and and um, so I, I love this podcast. I've listened to every episode. Um, so yeah, this was tough for me listening to everybody else's great choices and and so i thought i would choose games based on the games that were like emotionally meaningful to me so this console would probably sell one copy i don't know maybe my i think my brother my little brother might buy a, a, a version of this oh, my surprise console, but you, um <laughs> yeah but um yeah my my first game is ultima 5 warriors of destiny the music is playing right now by the way it is okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh this was the first not the first game i played um so obviously my, you know my my dad brought home a computer like an uh, ibm 8088 you know and, and i played a lot of games but this was the first real video game and i think anybody even today if they went back to play ultima 5 They'd recognize this this blueprint for modern RPGs in this game. It must have been late 80s when I played it. Again, this was a time where you didn't play games right when they came out. At least to me, it was like th there were only a few games, you know. So it was like you, you know, the, you would play them a couple years after they came out. And so this game blew me away. It created a situation where, and I think every gamer has this, it created such a high for me that like, I have been chasing this game. I've been chasing the feeling this game gave me probably ever since I played right. it. Mm -hmm. Ultima 5 is an RPG where you are a, a character that is pulled from the modern world into this land of Britannia and you are the avatar and you were there to save the world and there's multiple versions of this game this was the first one that i played but it is open world so you have this character and you, you can go anywhere in this big what felt to me enormous world you can go anywhere and you can roam 
there's a day, there's a night cycle. There are people in towns you can talk to, but you can't talk to them at night because they're asleep, right? When you talk to them, you have to type in the words you want to say to them. It was, it just felt massive and it felt mysterious because there was no way to, I wasn't going on BBSs at that point, which I don't know if people know what those are anymore, but I just had this game in front of me and my brothers also played it with me. And there was no man. We were just like trying to figure out this massive secret mysterious <laughs> world. And it was, it, it consumed, I don't know how long I played this. It felt like years that I played this and like found um, all these secrets. And it was, it was just an amazing oh, that's game. Lovely. Are you, so you mentioned your brothers there. Are you the eldest or somewhere else in the I'm in the, the middle. middle. Okay. Yeah, I'm in the middle. I have two older brothers um, and then I have a younger brother and uh, a, a younger sister. Okay. And did they let you do the controlling then, or how did that work? You know, how did you negotiate who was controlling? So um, it's funny because my parents were very worried about um, how much we played video games as kids. I'm the only one who could say like, hey, look, it turned out okay for me. <laughs> um, but so the way that my mom divided it up was that we could each have one hour on the um, computer and we'd have to split it. And so each of my brothers and I would have an hour. And so what ended up happening was this like arms race of the thing is, if you woke up before anybody else was awake, <laughs> you could go downstairs, get on the computer and play for hours. If you woke up at like obscene hours for like, you know, 10 year old kids, right? 11 year old kids. So we had this crazy like arms race of like whoever woke up in the middle of the night, like three, four in the morning. You would like, you know, elbows and knees, like military <laughs> crawl out of the room because you couldn't wake your brothers. And then you'd go downstairs and start playing Ultima. And then when they walked down at like seven in the morning, you'd be like, I just got yeah. on. You're like, I have another hour. I just got on the computer here. So that was, that's how I remember us uh, playing Ultima. <laughs> that's amazing. And were you each using your own save file or were you contributing to the same gen? Yes. Right. You each had your own. No, right? no. Our own save file, and so we would tell each other, like, "Oh, if you go behind, if you go behind this mountain range, I found a, a, a cave, a dungeon." I mean, that was the other thing. Ultima Five. People should really look this game up. It was crazy when you would go down into dungeons. This is this two D game. I only had um, CGA graphics on our computer, which, again, I'm throwing out crazy old words here, but that meant we only had four colors, like magenta and cyan and white and black, I think were the colors. I don't know. Uh -huh. But yeah, we, we would play that game. And when you would go down into dungeons, it would turn into a first person mode. So it was 2D, but like it was actually like a first person mode where you'd walk through this dungeon in first person, you'd turn around. It was, I just can't believe that that game was so full and i mean it was just amazing what what they did at, at that yeah. time it's funny when you play when you play an rpg when you're that age you know really young pr around when you're turning into a teenager maybe yeah and i suppose there's the stranger things tv series gets to this a bit with the sort of tabletop yeah. D, D. but your the boundaries on your world in in the real world are quite quite tight aren't they you can't like explore too much or you know lots of children anywhere in the world can't and then suddenly you get access to an adventure game where you can just go anywhere and do anything. There's like a real electric sense of freedom, isn't there, that uh, adults maybe don't appreciate. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, the ability to live in this world, and it felt, I'm going to sound like an old, old guy now, saying like games today, but there was such a mystery to games back yeah. then. Like there was no, 
there's no like forum or community about them. And so it, it felt authentic because of the mystery. I think that has always stuck with me is this idea of authenticity of games where they just feel real because I'm like, there's a secret here and, and it feels like the game isn't trying to help me. It's like, there's, you, you got to like work forever to find what is the key to open this door and there's nothing to help you. And you're like, this is insane. It was in some other town in somebody person's basement. And all that mystery just feels very, it makes it feel very like an authentic experience. And you're right. And being that young and having an experience that felt authentic, it really like catapulted me into, uh, you know, what felt like a new world. Yeah. Amazing. And so what are you, what are you planning to do at school as you're, you're a teenager, you know, you're thinking about what you're going to do to your life. Did you want to get involved with video games as a career at that point? No, my parents, um, my parents were both doctors. So my dad was a, was a, a scientist, um, a research scientist, and my mom was a psychiatrist. And so they were both doctors and it just always felt like I just kind of always assumed I would just be a doctor. I'd go to school. I'd, I'd be pre-med and I'd become a doctor. And so that's, that's always what I told people. It's like, I'd be a doctor, just like my parents. And so video games were, I mean, I played a ton of them. And again, as I said, like my parents, I mean, they continue to buy me consoles. They bought me an NES, they bought me a Genesis. Um, I will say Simon, this is like five is like, it's murder for guys like me. Picking five games is like murder. Cause I was like looking at the Genesis and I was like, Oh my God, this game, these are so as a child, as somebody who grew up playing games, like they're so they're for they're as formative as like friendships, like uh, games yeah. I played. They're as formative as like, oh, that's who I am, and I I feel this way because this. I read these books because of this. I like these shows because of this game uh, I right. played. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as as I grew up, I continued to play games. I probably fell off a little bit in high school until um, my next game, but um, but yeah, I never considered making video games for uh, a career. Interesting. Well, I mean, this seems like a good time to come to your next game. What's what was it that took you away from games, and what what took you back to them? And then and then tell us about this one as well, your second choice. So, it was interesting, like just growing up, being in high school, right, and then social life, and then you just get caught up. And high school for me, it was, it was a great time, and it was like high school feels like the world. It's the first time you like feel like an adult, even though you're not. You're an, you're an idiot. I was at least. But it feels like the first time you've got a little independence, as you and I were talking about, like that feeling of independence is so important. You know, I played sports. I was, you know, I acted and I did theater. I was involved in a bunch of stuff and I just got into the social life aspects and then games like kind of took a backseat. But then I always felt like, I don't know, need, I guess, to play games. Um, and so then I would pick up games occasionally and again, you know, people should know, like in the early nineties, mid nineties, like it was very hit or miss. Like, yeah. again, I didn't know what games to buy, right? I'd go into, um, you know, Babbage's or, or, or electronics boutique or whatever. And you'd buy a game and you'd take it be the worst piece of shit you've ever played. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, this is why I don't play games. Like this thing's terrible. And so it was an experience like that. I bought XCOM UFO defense or, or as my British friends would say, I think it was just Enemy Unknown, right? Was it just Enemy Unknown? Yeah. XCOM is the original is such 
such an incredible game. I don't know. So now I know Julian Gallup personally, the guy who designed it and, and made it, but I just don't know where the idea like this came from. It was this game where it was a simulation. Like they were trying to simulate an alien invasion of Earth. And again, it was a feeling of the game just didn't care about you as a player. It was just a simulation. You get dropped in and you don't know a lot. You can't see a lot. You just dropped in, you build a base somewhere. And all of a sudden, these little UFOs would appear and on their little flight patterns. And they just felt like they were, like again, very authentic. They, they, this whole simulation was running and you were just a part of it. You would try to shoot down these UFOs and even games that I've made, modern games make a lot of uh, accessions to, to players nowadays where it was like, okay, we'll send the small UFOs early so you can like shoot those down and you'll understand how shooting on ufos yeah. work exhale ufo defense like it was like a game where they're like well no like the aliens are invading so sometimes they send battleships and sometimes they send these little scouts you can shoot down a scout but if a battleship comes like you're going to be destroyed and i don't know as a player i'm like well, how do i know this but it felt very authentic again it felt very authentic and so it was uh -huh. really you felt like you're transported to this new world where you had to kind of figure out the game on your own. Okay, I know I can take down these small ships and I build up this power, but then I go on these tactical missions where I bring a squad of soldiers. There are all these aliens out there in the dark somewhere. And um, it was really a very moody game. I think the music is, um, in fact, you know, there's a, a story for me about this, which is, so the music was really, really, uh, it really affected me. So very like synth heavy, like very moody music. And because of that music, I started listening to a band called Tangerine Dream, which I mean, <laughs> Europeans will definitely know for sure. And so my dream was to, to get Tangerine Dream to make the soundtrack for XCOM 2. Right. I thought like, oh, I probably have enough clout now. Like, I don't know how expensive they are. Probably a ton, but I'd love for them to make the soundtrack for uh, XCOM 2. And I remember it was a weird thing where I, um, this is kind of a, a jump here, but I was installing GTA five when it came out. Um, and we were like in the process of making, I think making, uh, XCOM two. And I was listening to the loading screen music and I was like, man, this music is amazing. And then I, I, I remember having this sinking feeling, like sinking feeling <laughs> as I was like, wait a minute. I was like, this sounds a lot like, and I like immediately went and like Googled like loading screen music, GTA five. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. They, the Hauser brothers, uh, commissioned Tangerine Dream to do a bunch of music for GTA five. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, so yeah, the music of XCOM, the, the feel, it was just so dark it was a simulation the game didn't care about you it didn't care if you it did there was no help like there was no like user help it was just this really fascinating game and it just made me feel like i was living in another world cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
So you, I said in the introduction that you, you did a degree in computer science at uh, the University of Oklahoma. So I guess yep. by that point, you've decided to abandon medicine and uh, you've had enough time getting up at 3 a.m. to play uh, Ultima that you have fallen in love with the computers. <laughs> and um, when, when you graduate, you, you, you take this job uh, to become a business consultant. How, do, how did that come about? Because that doesn't seem like the natural progression path. Yes, so I had, I was pre-med and then I went and lived with my dad. Um, my dad lived out in LA. Uh, he was a, like a professor at, at UCLA at something called the Cure Institute. And he was like, well, if you want to be pre-med, he was like, I'll just give you an internship. Um, nepotism was fine back in those <laughs> days. Um, he was like, I'll just give you an internship at the Cure Institute, which is really prestigious. And, and, um, you can, you can work here. And I went out there and I, I hated it. I hated it because my dad was a research physician. And so it was all like injecting rats full of, you know, whatever he's, you know, he's a, a gastroenterology um, scientist. And so they're doing all kinds of tests. And I was so dumb back then that I was like, oh, this is what medicine is. You know, I, I, you know, I was like, okay. I was like, I really dislike this side of things. I guess I could have been like a pediatrician or something like, but I was just like, I don't like medicine at all. I don't want to inject rats for a living. <laughs> right. So after that summer, I came back and I said, I don't enjoy that. Um, and I started taking programming classes and I, I really, really enjoyed programming. So yeah, then I, I got a computer science degree and. But I never thought of myself as a, um, as a programmer. I always, I, I just kind of viewed it as like, well, you know, how am I going to, to make a living at this? And then it was, so I graduated, I was graduating in, in 2000 and I thought, well, the most lucrative jobs, you know, I'm sorry to say, but like the most lucrative jobs were you'd be a business consultant and you worked for Anderson Consulting or Accenture or any of these things. And so I, I interviewed and I, I got accepted. I, I interviewed at Microsoft. And the funny thing was I interviewed at the Microsoft's like Apple division. They were making software for like, they were like porting the software to Apple, but I didn't realize that. So I went out there and they were asking me all these questions. They're like, how would you make the interface for this? And I was, and I was saying all these things that were like very windows based. And they're like, what if you only had one mouse button? I'm like, why would you only have one mouse button? <laughs> so I didn't get that job at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I took a consult business consulting job. I signed it. They gave me a signing bonus, which was awesome. How much was the bonus? I I think I remember being like $13,000, wow. which was like a fortune, yeah, right. right? For and, student. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I spent it immediately, immediately. <laughs> what did you buy with that? Oh my gosh. So, uh, I bought a new computer. I bought like just a bunch of stuff, a new computer. That's a really good question. What did I spend all that on? R really, really perishable goods. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think pro took my friends out, yeah. you know, and I just felt like this big baller. And then that was fall. You, you like, you typically sign with the company in the fall. And then in the spring, I was, again, I was, I went back to playing games as I always did. I, after years off, I returned to playing games and I saw that the only, like Sid, who I'd loved his games growing up, like all his flight simulators, then Civ and stuff like that. And I saw that Fraxis was hiring. I sent my um, resume and it's the only play, only game company I sent my resume into. And like within a few days, I got a response saying like, would you like to come out and interview? And this was well after I'd spent all the signing bonus. You're just so young and you're like, eh, nothing matters. So I, I went out there and interviewed and I remember the company was like maybe 20 something people because, so Firaxis, it was founded, they had made a couple of games and then a lot of people split Damn. off. Um, Brian Reynolds, 
um, split off with a lot of people and they were kind of like scrounging for people. They must have been scrounging if they were looking at me to interview. I interviewed with them and I had never considered the possibility of like, what is it like to make games? I met with Sid. I met with other like designers and engineers and they were talking about like this. Well, we're working on like, you know, should the barbarian do this much damage and all this stuff? And I was like, what are you talking? I was like, you can get paid to do this all day. I mean, I was... 100 percent sold and they offered me the, the salary was like half of what i've got as yes. sold but i was like i don't care like i do not care i know i want to do this <laughs> and i called my my girlfriend my now wife jenny and i was like i we've i it's the first time i've ever been to baltimore i've never been to the east coast i was like oh uh so are you open to to moving out here and also by the way i'm gonna pay, get paid way less but it was it was amazing. I, I interviewed with Sid and he showed me a game that never came out called Dinosaurs that he was making. Yes. I was, from that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to make did, games. Um, uh, what, I mean, what did, you, did your wife take much convincing? My wife is like, she just has this sort of like very adventurous okay. spirit. That helps. And so she was like, she was like, okay, great. She was like, let's go. We were going to move to Chicago. We were going to move to Chicago to do business consulting. Yes. And I don't think that was all that interesting to her, but she doesn't, she's just an adventurer. And so... Um, even now, like Jenny is like, uh, and again, we've been together as long as I've worked at Firaxis, I got married two weeks after I joined Firaxis. And <laughs> wow. so we've been married 23 years and she just has this like way more than me. I'm a very, like, there is no grass greener. Just stay where you are. If it's good, you know, and Jenny is always like, I don't know what's on the other side of the hill. So she was like, cool, let's do that now. So wait, hang on. You were, so you were moving across the country to start this uh, new job and while planning a wedding as well. Yes. And I asked for access. I said, Hey, look, we're getting married at like three weeks after I graduate, I'm going to marry <laughs> Jenny. And it was this massive. So we're from Oklahoma. It's, you know, I was from Kansas city, but in Oklahoma it's, it's Southern, it's, Weddings are huge, right? And so it was this, like, massive wedding. Like, tens bridesmaids, ten groomsmaids, just this massive thing. This whole production, which is another side of Jenny. She's an adventurer, and also she's like, she loves the spectacle. So I don't know how much I was helping with that, but I was trying. And I told Fraxis, I said, hey, I'm getting married, like, three weeks after I join this company. Can I just stay in Oklahoma and just take care of that? And they were like, No. (laughs) Like you need to come out, work for two weeks, and then go home for like two weeks to have a wedding and then a honeymoon, and then like and then after that you come back. And I was like, uh, okay, I don't know. I was like, okay, I'll come work for two weeks as a kid out of college who can probably provide no value whatsoever. I was like, sure, yeah. I'll come out. So I worked for two weeks out in Baltimore, then I went home. We got married, then we we moved out here. We've been here ever since. Incredible! Wow. Yeah, I guess maybe they would just like they just wanted to see if you were serious about the job, perhaps. It's gonna take another bonus. I guess so. Or they were so desperate for I started um the same day as uh four other people started yes. the same day I did, actually at Fraxis. And again, the company was like twenty something people. So they were really trying to like rebuild and people who I still uh am close with, but like Soren Johnson who who yeah. designed who's a designer. Um, but I, I started the same day as a lot of people. May fifteenth, two thousand was the nah, day I started. Amazing. Um, do you find it easier to remember that date or your wedding date? Uh, <laughs> you know what? This is public, right? This is going to go out, right? Okay, so yeah, June third, two thousand. I will say, having a, a a work start date and an anniversary on the year two thousand makes oh, it, it does, very yeah, easy, nice. right? To remember how long we've been married. So okay, let's. Uh, 
we got, we're going to return to all that, but let's come to your third game now, which is from 1997. Um, can you tell us about it? Okay, so this was before I graduated college. This was, again, this this was a case of I'd gotten away from games and I just felt this. I always felt that you always feel a pull. If you like games, I don't know if there were people like this, but like sometimes I drift off of them and then you just always have to go back to it. And so I felt this pull. I'm lucky that that's my bad habit, right? Like I bet that's like, you know, this probably is true for a lot of different like vices where it's like you're off it for a few years, you get pulled back in, you miss the old stuff. So for me, it's games. I had been in college. I'd been working really hard, um, studying, I had a job the whole time. Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I didn't even own a PlayStation, but I was jonesing for video games so hard that I went to Blockbuster and I rented a PlayStation and I just started renting games. So you could rent PlayStations by the week. Then I just started renting games. And it was still, again, in the late 90s, it was still the same thing where games were so hit or miss. If you weren't reading, you know, magazines, which I wasn't, it was like games were so hit or miss. Like the covers looked amazing. all, All the covers looked great. And then you'd play me and be like, what a piece of shit this game is. And so I just happened to stumble on uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And when I put it in, again, it was one of those things where like that got as close to the high of Ultima 5 as I have in a long time where you put it in and you're like, oh, I'm just going to play this all night. Yeah. Like I'm going to ruin my life mm-hmm. playing this game. Yeah. So, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, and there's probably very few who don't know, it's a Dracula themed game, isn't it? Set in a in a castle and you, it's 2D sideways on and you explore the rooms of the castle and battle the enemies. And then it's got this very famous thing right at the end where it's got a secret version. Once you think you finish the game where you can then play the entire game, but the castle is turned upside down and just an incredible um, reveal, isn't it? Right at the end. Mind blowing. And I don't even know why they did that. Like, (laughs) I I, I mean, like the, the amount of work they must, like, I'm thinking of the QA people. Like, again, as a guy who makes games, I'm like, (laughs) I guarantee some producer nowadays would have talked them out of that idea because they're like, your game is long enough. Your game is a masterpiece. It's long (laughs) enough. Like, why on earth would you do this? (laughs) Turn the castle upside down and make it fully playable. And then, you know, it's like an idea you'd have like at the end of a drinking session or something. Right. (laughs) Right. And nobody would actually do it because you're like, oh my God, the amount of tests we're going to have to do to make this work. And, but it was to make the AI work in an upside down world, phenomenal. A lot of Japanese developers are really fantastic at like packing value in through secrets and packing value, like continuing to add value and value to these games where you would find items. And again, I wasn't like going online to look up at this game. So it'd be like, I'd pick up sunglass. And I'm like, what the hell is that about? Like, I didn't know the game. So it'd be like, all of a sudden you could turn into a wolf. You could turn into this, mm-hmm. you get the spike breaker or whatever's. And it was like, there's a hallway with spikes above it and below it and you're like oh i can't get through that i can't get through that and that is like the best game design we're like what is at the end of this hallway and then eventually you find like spike breaker armor and you're like 
please God, tell me that this like means, and you'd be like, oh, I can run through spikes now. It was such an amazing <laughs> game full of so much like, yeah, mystery. Like it was so like the music was beautiful. The, the levels were beautiful. The enemies were weird. They were so weird. There was, it's just, the game just went on and on and you'd have to reveal these secrets. And it was a real, like a bunch of items. Like I wasn't used to like that many like items. It was like a full RPG side scroller. Like it is it is just a very evocative game. Everything came together to make it feel like a, again, another, uh, like you felt like you were in another place. They really did a good job of transporting you, I think. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's viewed as an absolute classic, one of the best games ever made today. But interestingly, because Oh, so came- I got it, Simon. <laughs> Nobody gets to choose this on future episodes. I, I got this one. And I feel like I was cheating. When we get to some of my later games, I also cheated by picking some. And I felt like I was planting a flag with this one. I was like, these get to be mine. Like, are you going to allow people to use the same game? I I think maybe, but... Uh- <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> But I'll certainly, I'll certainly let them know that you were there first. Jake. I did it first. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, let's go back to the story. So you're at Fire Axis. You're working with Sid. You've got Soren Johnson's joined on the same day as you, and you're working on this game, Dinosaurs, that doesn't quite work out. And at some point, you have this idea to return to the second game on your perfect console, uh, XCOM, and try and revive it in a new form. What what made you what made you pitch that, and how did you do it? Yeah, Sid and I worked together. We were the only programmers on a game called Sim Golf. Yeah, I don't know if, <laughs> um, it, which was very funny. But I was doing press recently for Midnight Suns, and somebody said like, "Oh, for Axis, like I play one of your games every six months. I go back to this game." And I was like, oh. "Okay." I, like I just assumed it was like you know, sure, Civ Four, whatever. He was like Sim Golf, and I was like Sim Golf. I was like, "You go back <laughs> to Sim Golf." Can you sign my sim golf? Right. I was like, well, I'm going to tell Sid, which I did. I was like, he's going to be thrilled to hear that. I was like, Sid and I were the only programmers on um, sim golf. I did the 3D terrain as a graphics engineer, and, and he did everything else. So, yeah, we worked on sim golf together. Dinosaurs wasn't working. He turned that into sim golf in like a weekend, um, which is how Sid Got rid works. of the dinosaurs, just kept the terrain. Came back after a weekend, and he was like, hey, I decided to make a game about golf. And you're like, okay. Um, but it was great. So we worked on that, um, and then after that, um, we worked together, and Sid and I had, you know, as I said before, we, we got along really well. I think he recognized in me like I had like a similar mind in terms of thinking about the player and design and systems. Hey. And so he said, yeah, I think um, Jake should get a chance to to prototype the next game. And and I uh, I knew we had the IP, but I was like, I, the only game I'd ever wanted to make was XCOM. I really, really, really wanted to make XCOM. So I was given six months. I was given another engineer. I was an engineer. And so I wasted six months of the company's time making the absolute biggest piece of shit. Uh, the, the worst prototype anybody's ever made. Like, I love XCOM. It's in my bones. And I spent all that time working on like an inventory system. Like it was like the, <laughs> after six months we came back and, and people were like, what is this? I'm like, well, um, as you can see, you can load all these different size uh, items into your backpack. And they're like, how about the game? And I'm like, oh yes, that that's not there. So um, I knew nothing about how to actually make games and design. And so Sid uh, gave me freedom before I was ready for it. So uh-huh. after that, I said, all right, never mind. I'm done. I can't design. So I, I, I came back and work with Sid on on Civ Rev. Oh yeah, an amazing game. I, yeah. I'm glad to hear that because I also love that's my favorite civilization. That's, I think it's Sid's as well. It was fun to come back to that and have the, the the humbling experience of making a prototype and realizing 
you you don't know what you can do and what you can't do until you try it. And like, I just thought like, cause Sid was a very nice guy and, and he was very complimentary. He's like, you should make the next prototype. And so being young, I was like, obviously I should make the next prototype. I am the next Sid Meier or whatever. And then I made the biggest, terrible piece of shit prototype. And it was nice to be humbled like that because it was very unpleasant when it happened. But and then I came back to work for him. A good lesson. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to do any of this stuff at all. I have not been paying attention to this guy who's like the best in the world. Maybe I should like shut up and like watch how he makes his decisions and then start asking uh, annoying questions about like, well, why, why did you do that? Why did you change that to that? And so he started like, Sid's not a like, um, he's like me in the sense that he's not like a natural mentor. He just like makes stuff. And so I started being like, well, yeah, but I want to know how you make stuff. So now I was like, now that I was back working for him, I was like, okay, uh, why did you make that decision? I was like, why did you change this to that? And so he started telling me his thought process and his work process. And I started like the loss still stung pretty bad. So I was like, I need to learn from Sid. And Uh, it made me come back to him in a much more respectful, like eager way to like, I'm going to learn how Sid does it. Um, If I ever get another chance, I'm not going to mess up. That is, it's such a superpower being not afraid to ask really basic, stupid questions. I mean, it's something that as a journalist, you have to learn because when you first start, you're like, all your questions are like five minutes long and they're basically designed to tell the interviewee how much you know <laughs> like about, <laughs> about their subject. And, and then it, it's really, it takes a long time to learn to be able to go, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But yeah, so useful. It's funny because Sid has a phrase um, that he would say, and I, the, Sid has so many phrases that stick with me. And again, I, I, I really do, as I've told him and I, I tell everybody like, I really, I owe him, I owe him everything. We've ended up to be very different people, very different designers, but I still at the core, I, I owe everything to Sid. And so Sid has a phrase, which is who's having fun. <laughs> so he'll ask you, who's having fun here? Is it the designer? Like, are you designing this archaic or system where you want to force the player to do something? Which <laughs> sounds like what you're saying as a journalist where you're like, okay, like who's having, like, what's the job here? Like, is the job <laughs> for the journalist to like share how much they know? Or is the job for like, let's get some answers and same thing, Sid, I would come up with these like pretty like organic systems and these really complicated things. And he's like, well, who's having fun in this scenario? He's like, is it right. you as the designer? He's like, are you thinking about the player enough and like how they're not going to understand 90% of what you just described to me? And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That's such a great question. Yeah. What a great, I mean, that's uh that's worth its weight in gold, isn't it? That question yep. um, to ask a game designer. So, so at what point do you return? Because obviously in, I think the first XCOM that you, you make comes out in 2012, doesn't it? So is that yes. right? Yeah. So yep. the, um, you know, how did you get to that point? Because that game comes out and is and is amazing. It's not it's not an inventory system. <laughs> how did you get to that stage? Well, um, so as I said, like I, I knew if I if I ever got the chance again, I would I wouldn't mess up, which uh turned out to not be true. So I so after I worked with Sid on um Civilization Revolution, then I learned from him and I was I was way in a much more humble um understanding space of I need to learn from this guy. And so I asked all the questions. I saw how hard he worked and his, his big thing, which it's a, it's a secret. That's not a secret, but you know, you have to eat your own cooking and, and he played his games more than any single person. So yes, he designed them. He designed the systems, but he played his games 
relentlessly, relentlessly, he'd play them as a player. And you, you have to be able to put yourself in the mind of a player. And you say like, okay, this is fun. This is not fun. And then I'll step back as a designer and say, why is that not fun? And so those are the things that stuck with me. Like, okay, you've got to play your game more than anybody else. You play it, you play it, you play it. And so I learned those things from him on Civ Rev. And then he was like, I, you know, I think Jake deserves another shot to make uh, another game. And I was like, actually, I was like, I want to do it again. <laughs> and so I was able to prototype um, XCOM. And there's, there's a funny story about, so prototyping XCOM. I, I had this, everybody's really excited because it was at Firaxis, you know, we'd made a bunch of civs, right? We would made pirates. <laughs> and I was like, no, we're going to make a dark, like military science fiction. And so all the artists and the, everybody was like, okay, yeah. They're like, I want to make that. Like, I'm, I'm tired of making archers or whatever it was. Like, everybody's like, yeah, this is great. So we had this great team. We were all really excited. You know, we had the backing of the company and, but we we were like we have to use Unreal Engine, right? Like we we have to use the Unreal Engine, Unreal Engine three, which was you know cutting edge at that time. But we didn't know that engine, and so I wanted to make a prototype of combat tactical. So uh-huh. you fight with your soldiers in combat, and then you go back to your base, which we call strategy, uh-huh. the geoscape. Yes. So you fight in combat, then you come back and you build out your base, and it's this sort of back and forth um, that's really what makes XCOM unique. So we brought on this consulting team to help us make XCOM. We said, like, these guys were Unreal Engine experts. They were this tiny company out of North Carolina. They had worked with Epic, so they knew the engine. Uh, so they came up to help us, and they were these, like, country boys, which I say because I'm a country boy, like, I'm uh-huh. an original. Like, I'd be what's called a redneck, you know, yes. which is middle of the country. These guys were more hillbillies, which were East Coast country boys. But I got along with them really well. Yes, they helped us make this tactical prototype for XCOM, and then they helped us make the, the strategy prototype for XCOM. And on the last day they were there, um, this was weeks, weeks after of work, maybe a month of work. They were like, Hey, do you want to play our game? You know, that we're working on. And I said, sure. Cause you know, I was a new designer. And so you think, you know, everything I was like, sure. I'll play your dinky little game. And I played it and it was these, you know, these little cars flying around and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I was not good at it at all. I didn't enjoy it. And I was like, ha okay, good job guys. That'll be awesome. And then when they left, I was like, man. Those guys were great, but that game is never going anywhere. So that company that helped us, this tiny company that helped us make the prototype for XCOM, I mean, we're called Psionics. They went on to make Rocket League. Rocket League, yeah. The game that I played before it was a game, I played it, and then I was like, what a piece of shit this game is. And, uh, you know, and I, I loved those guys, and I was like, I hope them, I wish them all the best. But, like, <laughs> it is a very good reminder, and it has always stuck with me of, like, man, if anybody tells you that I don't know what I'm talking about, they're probably right because <laughs> those guys made Rocket League and I think they made uh, all the money in the world. And Yeah, they've done okay. Yeah, and, they, and so they yeah, they helped us make the prototype for XCOM. But yeah, so that's how XCOM started. Uh, we went through multiple iterations where the game wasn't good, wasn't good, wasn't good. I still had many, many problems making it, but um Luckily, we ended up at a place where it it, um, it finally got good. Probably yeah. got good, yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's come to your your fourth game, which is well a little bit before uh, XCOM comes out, two thousand and seven. Can you tell us about it? Yes, and in fact, this does tie to Civilization Revolution. So uh, this game uh, is the the wonderful game Rock Band.
you can see I'm pausing here, Simon, because I know you're, I know you're a podcast. I know like, like rock band. And then it's like music starts. All right. So, um, <laughs> so yes, rock band, which came out in 2007, which I think is one of the greatest games of all time. The way that I encountered rock band for the first time was that I was at E3 and I was there to present civilization revolution. So I was the, the front man for this game. And we were going on, I, I think it was IGN or something. Like they, they had some show at E3 and we were going to be their second to the last guest. We're going to demo Civilization Revolution and then that would be the end of E3 and then somebody else would come on after us. Um, and we had one of those like, you know, legendary E3 demos where it was like, you must do exactly what the demo needs because otherwise it's going to crash. Like, do right. not look to the left. Well, I remember we were doing the demo with IG and they just kept talking. And so the person playing it, I was talking while somebody played it. And we had like a warning that would come up where it's like, you're running out of memory. And it would say like, <laughs> how much memory is left? And as they were talking, like the memory thing popped up and I was like, please, Jesus, do not let me crash this game on IGN. Like... Um, and so I was like, just walk back and forth. Like, I remember like leaning down, like in the middle of the interview and telling the guy driving, I was like, just walk back and forth. I was like, you got to stop. I was like, do not fight anybody. Do not do anything. This game is going to crash. So we did that. And in the green room, before we went up on that show, this may be an apocryphal memory, but I, I think it's true. We were in there with the people who were going to present rock band. And of course, everybody knew harmonics because of guitar hero. Right. Hey. But they were about to present rock band, which was very exciting and this part may be apocryphal but i was back in the green room and these people looked like fucking rock stars like they just were dressed like rock stars i was like are these people developers i was like what is this they're wearing like i mean they're like fleetwood mac or something they're all dressed cool and i swear to god one of them was drinking whiskey out of a bottle i swear to god this <laughs> it doesn't is true. sound like a game developer right and and i also <laughs> swear to god this might not be true but this is how i remember it is that they were back there and they were like swigging whiskey out of a bottle and i was like so are they this cool or is this what they think rock stars do i don't know but they looked very very cool and then they went up after us and just killed e3 with this awesome demo where they played rock band <laughs> yeah rock band is is one of my favorite games because it is the only game that I have played with people who don't play games at all, who've never played games before and have never played games since. But Rock Band is very, very much a video game, and they will play it and they will they will love it. They will absolutely love it and be like, "We should break out Rock Band." Yeah, like that happens to this day. Which uh, so in Rock Band you can play bass, drums, guitar, or you can sing. What What was your favorite favorite instrument? Ah, uh, it was the drums. Actually, the drums were probably my favorite, and I don't think I was any good at them. But because of Guitar Hero, guitars were pretty cool. Um, singing, you know. That, that was okay, but I was like, the drums just felt the cool. I mean, you felt the closest to being like, I think I'm actually a drummer as I'm yeah, playing. Right. I mean, it is the same. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I remember that game. I just, I had been a video game developer and I had a bunch of friends, obviously, who weren't developers and they just weren't, I couldn't tell them about like Civilization. I couldn't tell them about XCOM or anything like that. <laughs> but you could say like, well, like Rock Band made a connection with, with people for me where they're like oh like they're like games are amazing i'm like they are amazing right and rock band of course is especially amazing i remember one time my wife um before we had kids i was like upstairs i was it was after work i was upstairs and i i was like what the hell is that and i go down to the basement and it's my wife by herself like again she's not a big gamer and she was trying to play like 
Tom Sawyer, like hard level on rock band. And she was like, and she was like, I mean, she was just whipping it. She was doing great. And I was like, what are you doing? And rock band is just, it's just a special game like that, where yeah. I think that it really, really is, you know, amazing. Like yeah. That. It's so, it's sort of a shame that the world got a bit burnt out on those music games. And yeah, because it was a brilliant moment. It's particularly that first rock band. And I think as well, the Beatles rock band that, that they made yep, in that conjunction was with the Beatles estates, you know, that was so well done, I thought. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of the world had enough of plastic instruments at one point, didn't they? And then and then it, they sort of went away. Yeah, it is. It is a shame. Like I no longer have, I no longer have my rock band peripherals. And I think, you know, and not to be maudlin or anything, but like, can you imagine if like somebody said like, okay, out of all the things in, you know, that people donated or threw in the trash, like if you piled up all the peripherals to the rock band, I mean, it would be a mountain, right? It would be an absolute mountain of like peripherals. Because yeah, everybody had rock band or guitar hero or whatever. Like. Maybe it'll be like in 50 years on the Antiques Roadshow. That'll be the thing that everyone's bringing in because like, oh, they're all yeah, in this landfill. is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. This is an actual first edition rock band. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, well, I just want to like move forward a little bit in the timeline to when you start work on, on the Marvel game. Yes. Were you, were you a little bit um, apprehensive about that? Because... You've had yeah. uh, you've basically had lots of freedom, haven't you? To it's it's a uh, it's your own IP. You can do whatever you want with it, and suddenly you're working with, you know, one of the biggest mega cores in the world. Uh, were you were you a bit concerned that that might restrict your yeah. design? Yes, and so Marvel reached out to us, um, and so they said, "Hey, would you be interested in making um, a Marvel game?" And so I'm a very 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 hardcore Marvel comics guy. So I had this thing pulling at me like my my heart was pulling at me but i was extremely concerned because i'd never worked with ip it's so hard to design a game and 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 ship a game when you have full creative control to even make something even remotely good right we're like oh we've got to make this change because that's what's best for the game like i've always operated under like i will do whatever whatever it takes to to like serve the game if it makes it better and so I was really concerned about, well, what if we have this partner now who says like, oh, no, you can't do that because, you know, Iron Man would never shoot twice in a turn. I don't know. And I just never knew what that was sure. like. But yeah, yeah. so I was concerned. But I had a call with the Marvel Games team and I floated the idea of a customizable character. And it was mainly, I wanted to do that. And, and obviously we'd had some customization in film, but I really did that as like a test for like, you guys have never done this. I want to make a new superhero and they have to be a customizable character and the player gets to customize them. And I was basically being like, you know, if they started to get like nervous and corporate about that, I was like, we can't do that. We, we weren't going to work together. Ah, uh, a little test. <laughs> yes. And so, but their reaction was like, that sounds awesome. And they were like upfront, they're like, we've never done that. They're like, you know, to make a new hero, it's got to like stand up against these other heroes. It's going to be a lot of work. They were like, but that sounds awesome to us. And I could tell they were genuine. And I could tell that they also, you know, the kind of games that I've made, XCOM and stuff, like executives will tell you, oh, what did you do? And you'll say, oh, I worked on a game called XCOM. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I love that game. And you're like, that's nice. That's nice of you to say, but I do not believe that you know or love <laughs> XCOM. But Marvel, when I talked to them, like the he was the president of Marvel Games, Jay Ong, and, and Luke, who was their biz manager, like... They started railing about like the final mission in XCOM 2 and oh, wow. how like Rangers <laughs> were underpowered. And they were just saying all this <laughs> stuff where I was like, oh, and these were like the top guys at Marvel Games. And I was like, oh, okay, so you do know what I do. They do want something like that. 
So it just made me very comfortable that we could be like genuine partners. And yeah, that's how it turned out. Like they were, I, I have nothing but amazing things to say about the Marvel Games team. They, they always were willing to say, I would say, this is what we want to do, whether it was the look of a character, whether it was the abilities. And they were like, great. Let's find a way to get there. Just keep these things in mind. Yeah, that's great. I really think that comes across in the game as well. It's it's very funny. It's quite, um, you know, it, it just looks like you've had fun making it and you haven't felt, like you say, you know, this so an IP lawyer standing over your shoulder. <laughs> you oh, can't they do were that. there. Oh, I'm sure they Simon, were. <laughs> they were there. I promise you. They were there. And uh, both, uh, yeah, lawyers and the ratings board. I mean, my goodness we had our lawyers we had their lawyers but it, it was funny um but yeah it's true like when we first were writing our scripts for this stuff um my narrative director and i are very like-minded and you know we we when when marvel first got our scripts they're like whoa they're like these are very um light-hearted and we're like yeah we know the story is like dark but the darker you get we always took our inspiration from saturday morning cartoons mm-hmm. and we yeah. just told them that from the beginning we're like we are we are going to do a Saturday morning cartoon vibe. It's going to be a little bit corny. It's going to be funny. Everybody's going to be earnest. Like nobody's not going to take the situation seriously, but oh, yeah. in the downtime, they're going to be funny. They're, they're going to be a little bit corny in, in a comic book way. Um, and Marvel, like, they're like, okay. They're like, okay, we get what you're going for. Like, okay. And now that we know that, let's, let's go for that vibe. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I think it's test. You know, it reflects well on the those executives at Marvel Games. You know, working with yeah. working with you on a on a tactical turn based game, and then with Marvel Snap as well, working with the designer of Hearthstone. Yeah. So you know, they've made some they've made some wise choices there. I think. Yeah, and there's an indie game called Spider Man that I think is going to be a real hit. I think if yeah. it can find an audience. Uh, I think I think that'll do okay for him. So Jonathan blows Spider Man. <laughs> Can you imagine? I bet it would be brilliant from a design standpoint. But uh, oh my gosh, that uh, that is a great Jonathan blows Spider Man. I w- now I got to see that game. Oh man! All right. Uh, okay, we better we better come to your fifth and your final game, Jake. Um, can you tell us about it and why you've picked it? It's uh, a little-known game. <laughs> yes. Speaking of small indie games that need to find an audience, um, for my fifth game, I chose Minecraft. Minecraft, um, I, I felt like I was cheating. You know, I, I asked you, is this cheating to choose Minecraft um, for my fifth game? But um, Minecraft is really important to me because, and, and maybe this is, you know, at, at this point, it's it's a trope to hear this from a designer, but like uh, my daughters, I have three young daughters, 13, 10, and 7. Um, but for almost all of their lives, we've been playing Minecraft together. And I played Minecraft before any of them did, and I just think it is the most amazing amazing game is kind of i don't know if it's a game it's a toy as much as it is a game but it's, it's just the most amazing experience where it feels very real like you feel like you're looking at something that nobody's ever looked at before when you spawn a new world when you go in and you build whatever you want to build and it's endlessly creative and it, it's just 
it just has provided me with as many memories as real life has, especially now that my, my daughters play with me, we'll play every weekend. And my youngest is even without, so my, my, you know, but my kids, you know, they don't get to go on YouTube or anything like that. So they don't follow any of the, like the big YouTube streamers or anything like that. Just on their own, they have like played it so much that they will build these creations and they'll use all these tools in the Minecraft tool chest to make these amazing things. And it just, it is the cool thing. They'll always be like, oh, can you come look at this new world I made? Can you come look at this new world I made? Or we'll jump in to play together and they'll say, hey, let's, I don't know. They'll say like, hey, let's make a hotel. Today we're going to make a hotel or today we're going to make a zoo or whatever it is. And it's, it is endlessly entertaining. I, I cannot imagine ever tiring of Minecraft. And so if I did have a console, like if, if I just had Minecraft, I'd be fine. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, a game for life, isn't it? That one and has been for many young people as well that they're continuing to play. Yeah, I actually, um, for a while, I've, I've never told anybody this, but I can say this stuff now. Um, for in between, uh, when I started XCOM 2, um, a guy named Kristoff, he used to run 2 games, he came to me and he said, hey, do you have any big ideas? And I said, I do have a big idea. Um, and he said, well, let's do that. And so a year into XCOM 2, I left the project and they funded me to start making a game like the game of my dreams. And it was a game called Dusk. It's the greatest game never made, right? So it was a game called Dusk. It was uh, voxel-based, like Minecraft. But the idea was that you were also crafting animals as well. So you were, so you were also able to like craft animals. And so you would be able to, you know, put wings on a wolf and you'd be able to put horns on whatever you you could craft these animals as well as you could craft um the world great idea we didn't get very far it was only um maybe 10 months into it and then xcom 2 was kind of like you know going off the rails and so then christoph called me back and was like yeah uh i don't think it's a good idea for you to like waste your time on this if if xcom 2 doesn't isn't successful we got a problem and i was like okay so i had to abandon dusk um after 10 months but I did, for a time, get to make a game that was like Minecraft, purely inspired by Minecraft, of yeah. course. Cool, amazing. That's, uh, it seems like a very rich territory there, um, designing animals. Yeah, yeah I mean, like re- right? That. I mean, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but, you know, I'm not making, that's not what I'm making next. I should tell people, feel free. Okay, let's uh, let's go through your choices, Jake. This is, like you say, an eclectic console, but I think it's really good. So we've got Ultima 5 Warriors of Destiny, XCOM UFO Defense, um, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Rock Band, and Minecraft. Um, yeah, something for every that's mood. That's a solid console, Simon. That's a solid console. <laughs> I, feel, I feel good about those choices. That's good. I'm pleased. Have you got a, a name for your console that we can use to market it to the world? Um, right. So I loved the old names of consoles where they were like, they wanted to sound like futuristic and, you know, so Spectrum and the, you know, ColecoVision. So I... I would choose something like that. So like um, the Vector Vision 8000, right? Like something very like retro future. I love that kind of stuff. So Vector Vision 8000 is the name of, of this I console. I love it. Very good. We might have to run that past you and lawyers. <laughs> Legal's going to have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah. They seem to be on your shoulder about your names. But uh, okay, great. Vector Vision 5000? 5, yep. It? Yeah. Uh, 8000. Yeah. 8000. 8000. Sorry, my mistake. 5000 was the prototype. We are on to 8000 <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Okay, well, uh, before I let you go, I've just got one more question. I mean, part of the reason we're able to talk right now is because you're, you're so in between yep. companies, right? 
And, um, you know, you worked at a, I know when you joined Fire Access, it wasn't um, a big studio, but it is it is now and, uh, you know, has big investors and all of that. And uh, so, you know, lots of people working the games industry are covered by NDAs. And it's if, if you were working there and we were talking, we would probably have a PR person sitting in on our call waiting to jump probably, in. Probably, yes, we would <laughs> most definitely. We would definitely yes. have that. I'm interested because I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I've worked in covering games for most of my career and it does seem a little more um, worried than other about this stuff than other industries. You know, it's certainly, I took, you know, when I talk to people from music or from TV or film, some, you know, sometimes it can be like that, but not always. Sometimes, you know, it's a lot freer. Do you think, uh, do you think it's a little too conservative perhaps when it comes to allowing people like you to speak to people like me? Yeah, I think it's. There's a weird, like, I think, yeah, we're still under the old, like, record label model, right? Like the 50s and the 60s, where it was, like, more controlling. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it, it really doesn't, to me, it doesn't make any sense anymore. I think that, you know, publishers who I'd like to say for the record are amazing and awesome, and I can't wait to work with them again, I, I truly. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, they're, they're very proprietary, I think, with the people and with the, the products. And, yeah, like film and TV, things are announced well beforehand and people talk about them in a little more free environment. Um, so, yeah, I don't okay. understand. I don't understand. I don't, I don't even think it affects, even if you say, like, we're publicly traded companies, I don't think, like, talking to creatives is going to shift the needle one way or the other, typically. So I don't okay. understand it because there is so much... There's so much about games and the development process. Even if you see the the documentary on um, Double Fine that came out recently, like mm. I wish yeah. it was a little more like um, open about the process of making games, the process of getting games funded, the process of like shipping games. What happens after you ship a game? You know, I, I think that all of those things are really really interesting stories. But yeah, I think that a lot of times. Yeah, it's a, it's a little clamped down, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. I think it's just a holdover of they had a lot, you know, there's been a lot of, like, close to the best stuff for a long time, and for some reason, everybody just thinks, like, that's how it has always been, that's how it should be. And so indies are nice, right? Like, it's nice to see people who, like, they post as they're developing. They'll just post, they'll be like, all right, this week the game does this, right? And this week the game does this. I thought that was <laughs> shocking when I first saw that stuff. I was like, oh, my God, you're telling people how your game works, like, that's that's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, may I think maybe publishers are sometimes worried that you know you show something like that and then it has to be taken out of the game for whatever reason it doesn't work and then people hold, get cross about that. I suppose you know maybe some of it, some of the blame sits with the audience for taking things to you know out of perspective, perhaps. Yeah, as well. I mean, yeah, I think that's a part of it as well. Is is luckily I've been in a case where luckily I've had typically positive reception i mean an interesting that happened with interesting thing that happened with midnight suns was that my XCOM audience who had always been very positive and, and i think we had a good relationship there was a little bit of a a, a negative reaction because i wasn't making XCOM 3 right like because my team and i had right, made something yeah, else and that meant that which is true it means that if we made midnight suns like XCOM 3 wasn't being made at, at that at least at, the, mm. at that time and so it's a really interesting relationship where everything's positive until it's not, right? And then you go, oh, you know, like people are disappointed, yeah. which I understand. Or, But that, that reflects then their their opinion about one game is related to like they wish we were doing something else. And so, um, and I don't know, what's, what's the way to, is there a solution for that? Is there a way to have like a fully honest conversation with, 
I think it's to delete the internet. <laughs> it's probably true. It's sad, but true. It's just delete the internet and then go back to the days where I would walk into a Babbage's or whatever and I'd be like, okay, I guess this is a new game now. I don't, I don't know, know which one's good. Right. I got to look at the, um, the big thing was like, you learned, don't look at the cover. Then you look at the screenshots on the back and you're like, oh, that's what the game really looks like. Okay. You know, is it any good? I don't know. But. Yeah. Let's go back to those days. Definitely. <laughs> uh, Jake, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, I'm a big fan of your work and uh, I love loved hearing your story and you talk about games. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Simon. It has been, it has been a joy. What a fantastic guest Jake Solomon is. So pleased to have had him on the podcast this week. And um, yeah, so grateful that he he chose My Perfect Castle to talk a little bit about what he's doing next. Breaking news, everyone. Or, or something, something like that, at least. Anyhow, I'm very excited for what Jake uh, does next. I'm a big fan of his, his games. I absolutely love tactics games strategy rpgs whatever the whatever you want to call them i'm currently playing through tactics ogre the re-release of the re-release of the very old super famicom game that came out on switch a few months ago and uh, that it's brilliant uh, of course marvel midnight suns which came out a few months ago is also brilliant if you like chess uh, then you will probably like this style of game jake is uh, one of the masters of of this genre uh, working anywhere in the world, I would say. It sounds like his next project is going to be a little bit different, of course, but uh, as he said in that interview, he is a systems designer, and so we can expect um, whatever project he does next to have very interesting systems. Uh, I believe this episode is going out maybe two or three days after his final day at Firaxis, and uh, he's toddling off to go and try and get funding for, for his next thing. So if you are a investor listening to this, go find him at GDC or wherever he's going to be right now and talk to him about that. I think that's going to be a pretty safe bet for whoever takes a chance on whatever it is that he's cooking up. You can write to me at myperfectconsole at gmail.com if you've got any thoughts or feedback or things you'd like to share. Also, if you are interested, if you perhaps make games or publish games and you are interested in sponsoring an episode, that is uh, something that I'd be happy to talk to you about. We have loads and loads of listeners all around the world, uh, particularly here in the UK, in Canada, in the US, but, uh, but everywhere, all the way over to Japan. And... Um, yeah, if you'd like to tell people about what you're working on or anything like that, then yeah, drop me drop me a line and we can discuss that. If you are a listener and you would like to support the podcast financially, head along to Acast Plus where you can become an early access supporter and you'll get your episodes 24 hours before the general public and ad-free. Either way, I'm still having a blast making my perfect console and will continue to do so for uh, a long time to come. In fact, next week we have really a very, a very exciting guest, I think, for lots of people. If you head to the Twitter account for the podcast, that's my perfect console with the O's removed from console, then on Friday, uh, after this episode you're listening to comes out, I'll be announcing who next week's guest is. And it is someone who is related to a big movie that's coming out on Apple TV at the end of the month. 
it only remains for me to say thank you so much for for listening to the podcast for staying to the end uh, it's always nice to be able to address you the listeners um, like this and uh, i appreciate if you've listened this far in order to be addressed that's uh, it's less weird if i'm not talking into the void okay i'll see you next week with one more guest their five games and another perfect console until then goodbye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.